Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and you're listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon, Dealing with Mean People, and it's out of Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. So Will Rogers, the great American humorist, said this, I've never met a man that I didn't like, in which we would respond you never met my boss, right? You, you never met my crazy cousin. Ladies, you never met my husband. Uh, I mean, not y'all, just pretending. I never met a man I didn't like. That's hard for you and I to really grasp and understand and even identify with. Well, today we're going to talk about How to deal with people that we don't like. How to deal with mean folks. Now, if you're a guest today and somebody invited you to come with them, I just want you to know they knew beforehand what we were going to be talking about today. (laughs) Dealing with mean folks. Chances are there's somebody that you don't particularly care for, and it could center around the fact that they have hurt you, they have been mean to you. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them up, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 21. 49 weeks now, we've been walking through the book of Romans, verse by verse, and we've got a few more weeks left before we finish this series entitled, A Life Transformation. The first 11 chapters of Romans, he's talking about doctrine. He's talking about what we believe. Chapter 12, he's like, now let's talk about what we do. Let's talk about how we live. Let's talk about how this doctrine changes us because of the the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so when we were going through the first 11 chapters, we were all like, this is so good. And we got to chapter 12, you're like, when is he ever going to finish? Because practically living out your faith can be hard. I would say this, absolutely impossible without the Holy Spirit of God. And so understand in just a moment, I'm going to share with you what this scripture has to say about dealing with mean folks, Uh, give you four principles, but this is not some step process, okay? This is not, hey, if if I just employ these four principles in my life, then I'll know how to deal with mean people. Hear me, apart from Jesus Christ and the relationship with him and him sanctifying you daily into his very image, these principles are impossible. Matter of fact, they're downright hard even with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But please understand that anything that I give you today is secondary to the most important, and that is I belong to Jesus Christ. I fall more in love with Christ daily. I am now not a student only of His Word, but I am now living out my faith, daily surrendering myself to the power of the Holy Spirit, moving in and through me. And He says, I want you to live different than the world, and I'm going to share with you how you should deal with mean folks. Look there with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. He says in 17, repay no one evil for evil. And we'll just stop right there because some of you have already shut me off. (laughs) Repay no one evil for evil. 
Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Some of you are like, I've been looking for that verse. I've been looking for that verse. There it is. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Four principles of dealing with mean folks. Now, before we even get into the principles today, I want to ask you this morning, as we kind of personalize this, who is that person that when I told you what we were talking about, that you already started thinking about? Who is that person that has been mean to you? Who is that group? Who is that individual that you consider mean and you just don't get along with? And maybe this morning it's an ex-spouse who up and left you high and dry. And you're like, i got a big problem with them. I just don't like them. That's understandable. It could be somebody today that you used to be in business with and you're no longer in business with them because they did you dirty through a bad business deal and it changed your whole life and you resent them. And you resent them and you just don't like them. Or it could be that some of you are having problems with family members, you're having problems with friends, you're having problems with neighbors, some difficulty, and you just don't care for them because they've hurt you. How in the world are you going to deal with them? And some of you are thinking, what makes you the expert on telling us how to deal with them? Nothing, with the exception of God's Word. God's Word. Please hear me. I, along with you, am daily being sanctified into the image of Jesus. There are some days that great sanctification happens. There are other days not quite as much. And it's this ongoing process. And so I do not stand before you today saying, hey guys, listen, I've got this one right. This is not something that I struggle with as well. I stand before you today being fully transparent and saying, I'm telling you, this is the same thing that God is working in my own life. I'll say to you what the old country preacher used to say, I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who I should be. I'm not even who I will eventually be. But bless God, I'm not who I used to be. And so with that being said this morning, let's look at these four principles of dealing with mean folks. Principle number one, refuse revenge. Now, I told you, you're not going to like this. You're not going to like a single point that I'm going to give you. I didn't like it either. Refuse revenge. Look at what verse 17 says. Verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil. There are three ways, relationally, that we respond to others. The first one is, Do unto others the way they did to you. Do what other people do to you. 
Right? So if somebody is kind to me, I'm kind to them. But if somebody is mean to me, I'm mean to them. If somebody speaks ill of me, I speak ill of them. If somebody hurts me, then I hurt them. And can I just say that is a terrible way to live. It is a miserable way to live. Now the flip side, not quite as bad when we're talking about doing kind things or doing good things, but I am going to sit there and I am going to treat someone the way they've treated me. If they treat me bad, that's just not Christ-like. The second one, and it's worse than the first. Do unto others before they do to me. I'll beat them to the punch. Before they hurt me, I'll hurt them so that way they can't hurt me. Before they say something bad to me, I'll say something bad to them. That way it won't sting quite as bad if they do say something to me. Now, it is kind of good though if we're talking about positive. I'm going to do good to them before they do good to me. We usually don't tend to go that way though. And then the third relational way that we respond to other people is known as the golden rule, and it is do unto others the way that you would have them do to you. Christ himself said this, it is the golden rule. Some of you are like, well, now hang on just a minute, I've never heard of the golden rule that way. I thought the golden rule in America was, he who has the most gold makes all the rules. Well, let's just be honest, first of all, there is no gold in America. But that's another day and another time, right? Look at what Christ said there in Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It means that you don't treat them the way that they treat you. It means that you don't treat them in a way before they treat you. It means that you treat them the way that you would like to be treated. Now, here's what I know that I struggle with, and I think you might struggle with as well. We all have this natural instinct about us to when harm is coming our way, to get out of the way. We respond that way. For instance, you know, if, if something is coming towards your face, you don't have to sit there and think, well, am I going to move my head? There's this natural instinct that you really don't have to much, put much thought into at all. Something's coming towards me, I move. You may be out watching your kid play baseball or your grandkid play softball. You're there in the stands, a foul ball comes, and what do they yell? Heads up! Makes no sense, should yell, heads down! But the ball's coming towards you, you're going to move. That's a natural reaction. You get ready to fall, there's a natural reaction that you put your hands out. When Rob was baptizing this morning, you saw him do something that we've trained our pastors to do here, and I learned it the hard way when I first started baptizing. Because when you baptize someone and you're taking them down, their natural reaction is to throw their hands out to try to catch themselves so they don't fall. Well, after getting punched in the nose about a half a dozen times, I said, okay, put your hands on my arm and don't you dare let go of my arm. You let go of my arm, this baptism's not official. <laughs> Hold on. Because oh, it's that natural reaction, right? You're falling back. So please hear me. It's the same thing emotionally. Emotionally, our instinct is somebody hurts me, I'm going to hurt them. Somebody throws a verbal jab at me, instinctively, I'm going to throw a verbal jab at them. 
The instinct that we have is for revenge. I don't even care if it's the best of us. We all have that instinct. And what he is saying there is, through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you deny that instinct to get revenge. You resist it and you refuse it. That is according to Scripture. Again, we're going back to a life that has been transformed for 11 chapters. Let's talk about doctrinally what that transformation looks like. And then chapter 12, he says... Now we'll start living it out. Oh, by the way, refuse to get revenge. Don't give in to the instinct of revenge. But then there's a second guideline or a second principle. Propose peace. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Lawyers love this verse. You know why? Contains a loophole. And lawyers love loopholes. Accountants do as well, don't they? What is the loophole here? Well, look at what the Scripture says. The words say, live at peace with everyone. But I want you to look at the words before that because they kind of provide a loophole. It says, you do that only if what? If it is possible. You do that only as much as it depends on you. You do what? You propose peace. So we're going to go back. I want you to think again about that person that you may not care for. I want you to think about that group that you may not like and you don't have a good relationship with them. My question to you this morning as we personalize this is, have you extended to them the offer of peace? Have you proposed peace? You're like, well, that, that goes against everything that I feel. I know. The instinct is hurt. The instinct is revenge. But again, I'm now being transformed. I'm different than I was before. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. And in Christ, I am supposed to propose peace. Have you taken the time to say to that person that maybe was mean to you, that person that you don't care for, have you said, listen, I don't want us to have a problem. I want to live peaceably with you. And have you proposed and extended peace? Now, if you do that, one of two things are going to happen. First of all, they accept it. And when they accept it, that is great. Because now you've won a friend. Everything is good. You continue on with the relationship. You've proposed peace. It went against what you wanted to do, which is to hurt them. Remember what we said? We're not even talking about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They poked your eye out and your instinct is, I'm poking both your eyes out. Breaking your glasses. You're not going to see again. Knocking every stinking tooth you got out when you get dentures, I'm throwing them in the trash. That's how we respond. But no, 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 I've gone against the instinct, right? And I'm proposing peace, and they accept it, and all is good. But then there's another way that they can respond. They reject it. That's what it means here when he says, sometimes it is impossible to live at peace with someone else. So you fought against these urges, right? You propose peace, you extend this olive branch, and they reject it. Now, I do want to tell you that there is a thought that tends to go wrong here, and it even brings about greater harm, and that is this. Please everyone. 
If you just please everyone, then all of a sudden you will have peace with everyone. I'm telling you, pleasing everyone will not bring peace. You go through life just simply trying to please everybody, you're not going to live in peace with yourself, and you're certainly not going to live in peace with God. That instead, our desire should not be to please everyone. Our desire should be to please God. And when we please God, God will even bless us. Don't miss this. He'll bless us by letting us get along with some of our enemies. You're like, I've never heard of that. It's the promise of God. I'll show it to you. It's over in Proverbs 16.7. Proverbs 16.7 says this. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, it's not pleasing to others, okay? When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he, but the Lord, makes even his enemies live at peace with him. That there are some people in your world, in your life, that you're not going to be able to live at peace with them. That the Bible says that peace may not even be possible. But as much as it depends on you and I, as followers of Jesus, as much if it is possible, he says, live in peace with them. You know, you may create enemies out of people because of your position. And by that I mean what you believe. But you should never create enemies out of someone by your disposition. And that... I mean being mean and being hateful and being rude and being disrespectful. That there are people that they won't like you and they won't live at peace with you because of the position of what you stand on, what you believe. I'll give you an example. There are folks out there that do not like me because I stand on the position that there is only one way to go to heaven and that is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord. And there are folks that have said, my goodness, come on now, you ought to to lighten up a little bit on that. Why should you be so dogmatic about that? Why should you be so hardened about that? Why why should you be so gun barrel straight about that? If you would just kind of relax on that a little bit, maybe you'd just say he's one of the ways, or maybe you'd just say he's the best way, but for you to say he is the only way, that is so narrow-minded, how in the world are we going to live at peace? You've got to lighten up on your uh, position there and I respond and I say but I can't lighten up on the position because it's the absolute truth and the greatest form of love that I could express to you is to tell you the absolute truth that if you'll just turn to Jesus Christ he'll forgive your sin and heaven will be your home and there are folks that say but you got to. I, we're not going to live in peace with you unless you change your position. And a lot of times folks will come along. We've seen this all along. They'll sit there and they'll say, well, maybe I should relax. Now, again, please hear me. I'm not saying this gives me the right to be mean. That doesn't give me the right to be uh, lacking compassion or not be gracious or merciful. No, if anything, I'm always to extend those, but I stand on my position. They may be my enemy because of my position, but never because of my disposition. I also happen to believe that 
Also happen to believe that any sexual activity outside of a marriage between one man and one woman is a sin against God, whether that be premarital sex, uh, extramarital sex, or homosexual activity. I believe it is a sin against God. And there are people that say, my goodness, man, you are old-fashioned, you are outdated, you are a homophobe, you are intolerant. Come on, man, you've got to lighten up on that just a little bit because you'll never be able to live at peace with people in the world if you do not lighten up on that. Come on now, you can surely find some scripture to make it say that this is okay. I would just like to submit this. How did the devil tempt Satan, or how did the devil tempt Jesus? Scripture out of context. And so they, 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 they may hate me. They may be an enemy because of my position. But again, lovingly, not being angry, not being me. I know there are folks because of my passion that all the time that say, oh, he is just so angry. Do you hear how loud he is? Do you hear how yelling he is? Do you see his face, the way he gets when he preaches? He is so angry. Please hear me. I just call that passion. That's the way I am in every walk of life. Don't believe me? Come to the ball field. I'm telling you, if you were to listen to that video, I'm the one who videoed that video of our students when they won the dodgeball tournament. There wasn't a person in that gym yelling any louder, HP, than me. And I even said to one of the kids, we stomped you. And I didn't even pick up the dodgeball. No, 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 please hear me. Please hear me. They can be your enemy because of your position, but I'm not going to be dispositionally, I'm not going to be angry or rude or lack compassion or be ungracious. I'm not going to take joy in the fact that there's somebody out there that has been taught the lie that there are many ways to heaven. I'm going to be brokenhearted over the fact that there's somebody out there that believes the lie that there's another way to heaven. While I know the truth that Jesus is the only way. And my heart is so broken and my prayers are so motivated that in my prayers it's going to be, God, please change their heart. God, please show them the truth. God, please Please show them the way. God, use me to show them great grace and great mercy. God, please let me be able to live at peace with them while I exhibit and live out a life of change and transformation before them. And I earn the right to be heard so that one day, one day you might use me to graciously share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they may be my enemy because of position, but never because of my disposition. I also believe the Bible teaches that abortion is murder. That it is killing unborn babies. And there are people out there that don't believe that. And I don't need to be harmful about that. But that is my position. You have your position. You stand on your position. You speak the truth in love. But when you do that, the reality is that some enemies may be created. And that's why the Bible says, If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace. So let's personalize it again. Who is that person today that you are not living at peace with? Who are those individuals, that group today, that you are not living at peace with right now? And there are some of you in this room, you're like, man, I feel so guilty over the fact that we're not living at peace with them. Hear me, if you have done everything you can, as much as it depends on you, to propose peace, right? To extend the offer of peace without compromising your position on the truth of God's Word. And if they've not accepted that, my friend, you're free. You're free. 
You are clean before the Lord. Hear me. Do not let Satan come along and Satan make you feel guilty about some relationship as long as you've extended peace, as long as you've done everything you can except not standing on the position of the truth of God's Word. The Bible says right here, it is impossible to be able to live at peace with some people. But as much as possible, without changing your position or your stand, do it. Do it. And unfortunately, there are some of you that have bought into the lie down through time that the only way that you can live in peace with that family member that is outside of God's plan and outside of God's will, the only way that you can live in peace with that friend who may be walking down that road of unrepentant sin is you change your position. That's the way you extend peace. But yet the Bible makes it very clear, friend, the greatest love that we can do or show is here is God's truth here is God's word God changed their heart God changed their heart so I'm going to refuse to get revenge I'm going to propose peace how's that going for you y'all tracking with me okay on that good because some of you are really going to be ticked off by this one you ready it's real deep here it is get out of God's way Get out of God's way. When you have to deal with mean people, the best thing to do is get out of God's way. Why would I get out of God's way? Because God's doing something. God's always doing something. Look at what verse 19 says. He says, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written. And now this is what God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So here's what that means. If you try to get revenge, right? If you try to repay evil, you're getting in God's way. And God says, no, get out of my way. I'll take care of it. I'm doing something bigger than even you can see. Get out and let God do what God wants to do. So there are two sides to this. The first one, God repays evil. That's what he's just said. Once again, let's personalize it, okay? I want you to think about that person that has insulted you. I want you to think about those people that may have hurt you, that group that treated you dirty. You want to get back at them. That is that natural instinct about us, right? They punch me, I'm punching them, right? Don't do it, though. Get out of God's way. Let God do what God will do. Because hear me, according to God's word, he will always repay evil. And there are some of you that are sitting there and you're like, all right, God, sick them. <laughs> all right, God, I'm waiting. Get them, God. Get them and get them real good. Go after him. Make him miserable. And you're sitting back and you're waiting for it to happen. And let's just say that there's somebody that you hate and they don't care for you. And all of a sudden their house burns down and you're like, you got them, God. You got them real good. They get a new car and they're out at the store and somebody throws a shopping cart and it just goes all the way down the side and you're like, that shows you to treat me that way. God got you good. No, friend. When misfortune happens to those people you don't like, if you're happy about that, you've just kind of blown the whole situation. L listen to what Proverbs twenty four seventeen says. And by the way, I would encourage this to be the life verse for some of you guys. Not me, just, just you. Proverbs 24, 17. 
Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice. If you do, it basically says the Lord will see and he will disapprove and he'll turn his wrath away from him, from your enemy. So God is going to repay evil. And there are some of you that are thinking this morning, well, I don't know about that, Pastor, because there's some people out there that are treating me pretty dirty. There's some folks out there that hurt me. There's some folks out there that have just been really, really mean to me. And it sounds like everything's going pretty good for them right now. Sounds like they're having their best life yet. May I just remind you, God's not finished. God's not through. Our timing and God's timing, they don't really always match up. Walk by faith. Get out of the way. Let God do what God wants to do. The night before Jesus was crucified, He and His disciples were in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of a sudden, a mob comes and, you know, it has the Pharisees in it and has the Roman soldiers and they're there and they're, they're, they're to arrest Jesus. And so one of Jesus' disciples, Simon Peter, in which I always say this, Simon Peter's the kind of guy that you would want to hang around with. And then you would say, I'm hanging around with Simon Peter way too much. He's starting to rub off on me a little. Simon Peter, who was a professional fisherman, right? This guy comes to arrest Jesus and he takes out his sword. And, you know, again, he's not a professional swordsman. He's a professional fisherman. And I think he kind of had this idea, I'm going to split this guy right down between the eyeballs. And I can just see him swinging. I can see the guy moving his head. And he chops off the guy's ear and makes a bloody mess. You remember what Jesus said? Whoa, 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 Peter, what are you doing? What are you put the sword away? He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't mess up the Father's plan. I have to be arrested. I have to be crucified. There is a plan. See, what happens, guys, is we sit here and we focus on our life in terms of eternity as our life is here and eternity is here when in reality, eternity is here and our life is here. I'll close them all. Our life is here. It doesn't even register. And we sit there and we're like, oh my goodness, they hurt me. They said something bad about me. i got to get them back because, because of the pain that they caused me. And we forget that God's sitting here. God's got the 30,000 foot view. And God's saying, whoa, I'm doing something bigger. Put up the sword. And there's some of you here today, if you don't get anything else that Jesus is saying to you today, would you please get this? Put the sword away. Let me work. Get out of my way. God's going to repay evil. Sometimes when your enemies insult and hurt you and you try to do something about the situation, you end up being just like Peter. You make a bloody mess of it all. But there's another side to this experience that, I don't know, maybe you never even thought about. It's this. God not only repays evil, God rewards endurance. He rewards endurance. He will reward your endurance when somebody treats you ugly and you allow him to work. 
I'll give you an example of this. 2 Samuel chapter 16, here's King David. And King David's son, Absalom, comes along and says, You know what, Dad? You're old news. I'm the new king. You're out of here. I'm on the throne. And he brings a whole army with him. David could have stayed and David could have fought. Yet David left. He left Jerusalem. He took his secret service with him. He took a few of his mighty men with him. And he left. And he left Jerusalem. And so here's Absalom. Absalom's on the throne. You can read about it. He is doing things to publicly shame his father, King David. And here's David. David is brokenhearted because his adult grown child has caused him such great grief and anguish. You know, some of you guys have lived long enough to know what it's like when an adult child breaks your heart. So David's just dragging He's got a few of his faithful men with him, and on their way through Byurim, he's there in this little town outside of Jerusalem. A guy by the name of Shimei, he comes, and he just starts harassing David. Shimei's there, and he's, he's just cursing him. He's throwing rocks at King David. Here's what he is saying to King David. You man of war, you deserve everything that's happening to you. You're a man of blood. You deserve everything that you're getting. And one of David's secret service agents said, why do you let that dead dog talk to you like that? All you got to do is say the word. You just say the word. I'll chop his head off so quick he won't even know it till he gets ready to sneeze. Just let me do it. And I want you to hear what David said. David said, don't do it. It may be that the Lord will see my distress. And he will repay me with good for the cursing that I am receiving. And you can continue to read the story and you'll find out that the dead dog does indeed die later on. Let me just ask you this morning, has anybody ever cussed you out? They have me. I don't think anybody in this room has. I'm looking around. I don't think so. Not, not, not to my face. Anybody ever verbally blown up on you? Anybody ever unloaded on you? I don't know about you, but I just want to get back at them. Well, keep on walking. It may be that the Lord will reward you because of your endurance, because of your faithfulness, because of your unwillingness to seek out revenge. I'll never forget few years ago when our kids were younger you know this was back when we used to take them to the parades the Christmas parade and I'm thankful that they've gotten older and they could care less about stuff like that I mean my I know I know I know, I know. some of you have young kids you take them to the Christmas parade. some of you guys don't even have kids you're like I just love the Christmas parade makes no sense to me I don't get it I don't get it you're you're trying to get a old stale piece of Tootsie Roll and uh, hang out with people drinking Mountain Dew out of two liters I don't know why you do it but I know the day may come, I may have grandkids, I may have to go back. One of the last times I went to the Christmas parade, we're there. And you know how folks will get there? There's crazy. There are folks that will get there like five hours before the parade to save their spot. Like it's the Macy's Day Parade. You're like, it's Panama City. And the last time I was there... The last time I was there, these people, they'd parked their cars and they had their dog that was in the car and the dog was there and the window was, was, was cracked and the, and the dog the entire time, the parade started, right? The parade started. The band comes through and the dog starts barking. 
And the dog is like ferociously barking over and over. The little clowns on the motorcycles, which freak me out, they come through and the dogs are barking. The dog barked the entire time. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this dog's driving me crazy. There was an old guy next to me and he goes, this dog's driving me crazy too. And then he said this, he said, do you know what happens to a parade when a dog barks? And I thought, oh, he's going to say something profound. I can use this. I'm like, no, I don't. What happens to a parade when a dog barks? Here's what he said, nothing. It's true. He's like, they don't know the dog's barking. The band keeps on playing. The clowns keep on riding. Santa keeps coming. That dog can bark until it's hoarse and it doesn't affect the parade one single bit. And friend, listen to me. When you're following God, there are going to be people who come out and they're going to try to get you to turn away and they're going to do it by criticizing you. They're going to do it by hurting you. But hear me, don't stop. Just keep on going. God will reward your endurance and your faithfulness. So get out of God's way. But pastor, they kicked me while I was down. I know. I'm thankful that doesn't happen within the body of Christ. Mm. Shall we call names? No, friend, as a fellow struggling deliverer of revenge, get out of the way and let God work. He's in tomorrow before we ever even think about it. I'm going to refuse revenge. I'm going to propose peace. I'm going to get out of God's way. Here's the fourth one. Some of you have been waiting on this one. I'm going to kill with kindness. Now, now, let me go ahead and tell you. It's not going to go the way you think. I'm going to kill with kindness. Because notice what he says right here in verse 20. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. What? If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. Here's what he is saying. Do the unexpected. They don't expect that. Do the unexpected. When you do the unexpected, when you show kindness, when they've not shown kindness, when you show grace, when they've shown hurt, you know what it'll do? It'll flat out blow them away. Be different. You've been transformed, right? And notice what it says at the last part of verse 20. It says it's like putting hot coals, burning coals on their head. And you're sitting there and here's what you're thinking. I'm highlighting that one because I want to see them smoke. That's what I've been waiting on right there. I'll treat them with kindness because I want to see them burn. No, friend, that's not the motive. The motive is not to see them hurt like you hurt. What kindness does is... It lets them burn with shame. What's the motive? First of all, bless them. Don't burn them. That's the motive. When you show kindness to someone that has shown anger to you and evil toward you, they burn with shame. They may not show it outwardly. They may not say, well, I'm just burning with shame by your kindness. But I'm telling you, it absolutely does affect them. Booker T. Washington, a great American gentleman, said this, I will not allow any man to make me lower myself by hating him. 
The only way that I can destroy my enemy is by making him my friend. True story that happened during the Great Depression in the United States. There was a man in a small little town by the name of Judd Brewster. He was mean, he was hateful. Everybody knew he was mean and hateful. And there was this other little family called the Jensen family. The Jensen family lost their farm, lost all of their livestock, everything. They heard about a sharecropping farm, which basically meant that they would live on a farm and they would take care of the farm and bring in the crops, but it would not be theirs. They would do that to simply have a place to live. And so they were looking at moving to this sharecropping farm outside of town. They were talking to a friend, and here's what the friend said. You don't want to move out there. That's right next to Judd Brewster's farm. And he's the meanest man on the face of the planet. Father Jansen, dad, he said this. He said, well, if Brewster gives me any trouble, I'll kill him. And so they moved out there. They hadn't been out there very long. All of a sudden, Judd Brewster shows up at the Jensen house, knocked on the door, and he said, Jensen, I want you to know something. Your chickens have gotten into my garden. I brought them back to you, but if you don't take care of them and they get in my garden again, you don't have to worry about them walking back. And so Jensen said, boys, get the chickens. And they took the chickens, put them in the hen house, and locked the door where they couldn't get out. A few days later, Judd Brewster shows back up and he says, Jensen, your pigs are in my garden. I warned you about your animals getting in my garden. And he said, you know what? You're not going to have to worry about your pigs getting in my garden anymore because I loaded them up in the wagon and you can unload them right there. And he pointed over his shoulder and he had shot and killed every pig that belonged to the Jensen's. They were all dead in the back of his wagon. Jensen said, boys, go get the pigs. And he went and got the pigs and unloaded them. A few weeks later, Jensen's son comes running in, and here's what he said. Oh, Dad, oh, Dad, get your gun and come quick. Brewster's pigs are in our garden. He could, he could taste the revenge. And Jensen said, no, 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 no. No, no. Load them up, boys. Catch them and load them up. And by the way, I don't know if you know it or not, catching a live pig's a lot harder than catching a dead one. Load them up, boys. We'll, we'll take them back. He shows up at Brewster's house. He knocks on his door and he says, Hey, Brewster, I want you to know your pigs got in my garden. You could see the color rush from Brewster's face because times were hard. Nobody could afford to lose their livestock. He said, But don't worry, I brought them back to you. Where do you want me to put them? And Brewster said, I guess you can unload them over there behind the barn. I'll deal with them later. And he said, well, I can't unload them behind the barn. If I put them back there, they'll just get out again and get back into my garden. Brewster realized that he had not killed them. They had a long conversation that day. When Jensen went back home, Brewster had given him half of his pigs. And then something happened that folks around those parts said they couldn't remember the last time this had happened. When Sunday rolled around, Guess who was sitting on the pew right next to the Jensen family? The meanest man in town, Judd Brewster. Judd Brewster ended up getting saved that day. You say, Pastor, that's a cool story. Where'd you hear it? This is the best part. I heard this story because it was told by Judd Brewster's grandson. 
who's now a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All because God worked through one man who had every right to exact revenge, but instead, he showed mercy, and he showed grace, and he earned the right to be heard. And God said, I told you to get out of my way. I'm doing something bigger here than just pigs. Blessed don't burn. Man, this verse has been pulled out of context so many times. I've done it myself. Oh, there they are. They hate me. I'm going to be nice to them. I'm going to smile at them because I'm going to pour coals over their head. But that's the wrong motive. That's the wrong attitude. I want to bless. I don't want to burn. I'm going to kill them with kindness, right? Here's the last part. Why? Because I'm going to treat like I've been treated. I'm going to treat mean people the way that I've been treated. That's what this passage is all about. You treat your enemies the way that God treated you. You say, well, now wait just a minute. We're talking about my enemies. I mean, I'm not an enemy of God. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you and I both were enemies of God. What made us enemies of God? Our sin. Our sin, that's one of the things that unites us. We come from different walks of life. We may be different skin color, different likes and dislikes, different education levels, different neighborhoods that we live in. But what unites us all together is we are all sinners. We're separated from God. We're all in need of a Savior. Listen to what the Bible says. Colossians 1.21 Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your mind, because of your evil behavior. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now stop and chew on that for just a moment. I'm pretty blemished. I hang out with some of you. You're pretty blemished. We all have been blemished by what? By our own sin. You're like, well, not me. I really don't sin that much. You just sin thinking you don't sin that much. We have all been tainted. We all have this cloud hanging over us that separates us from God. That, that, that says that, you know what? You must pay the price for your own sin. Look at who you are. And according to God's glorious word, it says there, God has reconciled you through what? Through the very body of Christ that I remind you was sinless. And he took my sin and your sin on that body and he paid the price and he died on the cross so that now God's word says this, there is no accusation against you. You are without blemish. That God says, who, you? You were my enemy? Oh no, I, I see you the same way I see Jesus. Who brings accusation against you? No, you're perfect as my son. And so you and I, because of our sin, we're alienated from God as enemies. And God said this, listen, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Because do you know what I deserve? Hell and death. I deserve separation from God for all eternity. And guys, listen to me. My name's out there on the sign. And I deserve separation forever. 
And yet God says, I'm not going to give you what you've earned. I'll not give you what you deserve. Instead, I'll give you what you need. I'll give you grace. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll clean you and transform you. Pastor, why in the world should we ever refuse revenge, treat with kindness, right? Offer peace, get out of God's way because God's doing something through this. Why should I ever respond that way? They hurt me and they deserve to be hurt. Because friend, the life that you have when you surrender that to Jesus Christ, it is no longer your life. It is His life through you. And you respond the way that He responded to you. You're like, well, I have to set aside pride. I know, right? I can't think of a sin that has sent more people to hell than pride. What will people think? They'll think that I'm just letting anybody run over me. Remember, we talked about pleasing people versus pleasing God. Now, do you remember what I said at the beginning? That this is impossible without the Holy Spirit of God supernaturally working in and through us? It is. But God calls us to the impossible because with us, it is impossible. But through him, all things are possible. And guys, that relationship that you have, that individual that may hurt you, God will even work through that in the way that you respond to bring about something eternal in their life. I want to treat them the same way that God has treated me. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're still lost in your own sin. Maybe there's still accusation there. Yeah, there, you are tainted because your sin debt's never been paid for. See, Jesus did all that needed to be done on the cross, and he offers you the gift of forgiveness, but he doesn't make you receive it. He offers it to you. The choice is up to you. Will I receive his gift of grace, or will I reject and continue to live damned, separated from God. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, then today is the day to settle that with him. There is a God that is very gracious and there is a God that is patient and there is a God that loves you so much that he would even lead you to this place today so that you might hear me say, if you'll just turn to Jesus, he'll forgive you of your sins. Come to Jesus. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www. Dot Highland and it's H I L A N D Park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, 
about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.